Shall we begin? Okay, it's happening. Everybody stay calm. What's the procedure? It's time. It's time. It's time. Stay calm. Help. I need somebody. Help. Don't ask me a question. If you don't want to hear what my answer is, I'm going to answer it. Not just anybody. You know I need someone. That time again, ladies and gentlemen. Shock therapy oh happening right now on the Vent Lab. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is the one serious episode of the month for the most part. And it's not all serious, all right? Don't listen. Don't be like, oh, I'm not going to listen today. Yeah, guys, it's that time of the month again. Okay, uh, wow. Okay, let's be real. I don't even know what you're talking about. All that time of the month. It's all, time for shock therapy. Right, right. That's what we're saying. Yeah. Be real. Once yep. a month, Vent shock lab. therapy happens. Mm-hmm. It's like every 28 days or something. Totally natural, guys. It totally is natural. an exciting time where we get to hear from our listeners texting in what's important to them in ways that we can just approach life together. It's awesome. Honored to be here. Yep. We got some big topics that we're going to be uh, talking about today. Some big old topics. Yeah. Jay West is scared. Man, well, I tell you, he's, are... he's, he's like getting nervous and he's being ridiculous in how he's talking right now Gosh. because he doesn't want to say anything wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm known to do that. <laughs> Jay was just like the Christian version of Michael Scott. You know, when Pam would like transfer Michael, like say that there's somebody yes. on the phone for him mm-hmm. and then he would say something stupid like, hey, what's up? Something like that and make oh, it sound so really stupid. cool. I'm still explaining it. Hold on. <laughs> and then Pam would say, still here. And then he would try it again and he'd be like, hello. You know, and be completely normal the second time. So we tried to like let Jay West talk it out before we started yeah. and hope the second round he's going to be a little it less It just ridiculous. became awkward, didn't it? I mean, it was really awkward and there you was mean right now? laughter. No. Oh, like, oh before earlier, we started the show. earlier. <laughs> that you were talking about right now. <sighs> yeah, Jay West had to get all of his curse words out, yeah. had to get the jitters. Yeah. Yeah. So we've had the a crazy turn of events. The last few months, it's been nothing but coronavirus and talking about quarantine and navigating that. And then about a week and a half ago, it was on a Monday. I don't remember exactly what the date was, but former officer Derek Chauvin, well, allegedly he's been charged with the murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis, Uh, which has caused a major stir in the United States. And every city has been filled with protests that have started out peaceful, and many of them have gone violent. And so there's a lot of questions that applies to that. And the reason why we're a little bit nervous addressing this is because we're all white, and we don't want to say anything wrong. Yeah. Did you just assume my race, Rebecca? Well, I'm looking at you, and you are white. I have black relatives. Okay, also, I've known you for a few years. You're definitely white. Just because... I have black relatives, too. It doesn't mean that I'm African-American. Do you really? I do. My nephew is black. Oh, nice. Yeah. I didn't know that. awesome. What about you, J.O.S.? Yeah. You have black relatives? Yep. Are you talking about mine? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's keep it consistent, guys. Come on. 
Oh, yeah. It's a beautiful picture. It's awesome. Beautiful. Okay, so now we all sound racist because Uh we all talked about how we have black relatives. Now people know just how nervous we are talking about the topic because we all are white, like you pointed out. Okay, but we're not going to address how we think black people should feel. Mm. We're going to talk about how we believe the church should be responding during this time. You know, as a, as a minister of the gospel over the last 20 years, it is just a conversation that's been happening. Honestly, I mean, the church is doing something, but I'm learning more and more in ministry is that we're doing something that's not necessarily effective. So whether we're sitting on the sidelines, that's still doing something. And I think this has brought a cultural awareness, but also a bi- biblical awareness to our anxieties as well as our... Um, lack of understanding. So it's almost like it highlights our that we're somewhat biblically illiterate and that shakes us. It it scares us because then we decide with our emotions or our opinions, which can be very misleading. And those are things that we have to not necessarily be reactionary to, but have a proactive response that's sound biblically, that that loves God and loves people. And that's really the platform we want to talk about today is what does that mean when we hear other believers or the church be this vehicle of hope that we always talk about, which is doing something, but where does this love God, love people intersect in a way that merges together of reaching all walks of life, all different kinds of people. And especially with this conversation on race reconciliation or um, ethnicity reconciliation and how we're going to approach that today, hopefully we'll shed some light on how the church can have a more proactive way of, um, of embracing more families and more lives in such incredible times that we're in that's really being highlighted right now. I think some of the big questions that we're getting is in regards to the protest. Yeah. One, is it okay to protest? And two, is it okay for these protests to turn violent? Because I think one of the arguments is the people who have been protesting for a very long time and have been protesting peacefully Mm -hmm. still haven't had their voices heard. And you may think, well, there's barely any racism going on. I don't see that happening. But that's not the truth. And because of these protests, we're all learning more about how serious this issue really is. And so it is getting voices heard. And I'm not saying a violent protest is is acceptable. I think the majority of people are mm-hmm. going to condone violent protests. Right. However, it's woken us all up to have this conversation and begin these discussions. And for people who are now experiencing these violent protests in their own backyard, they're waking up to the reality of, okay, what's the problem and how can we fix this? So, and I I hate to say life go back to normal because we Mm, still have coronavirus, so things still aren't going back to normal. (laughs) Right. But so that we can go back to a more peaceful existence. Not that it's always been peaceful because I just explained how we were thinking, well, everything's fine, right? There's barely any racism. But unbeknownst to so many people, the African-American community has been dealing with this forever. And there's still a huge issue out there. Yep. You know, ever since Genesis 3 talks about the fall, I mean, we could really stem it back to that in biblical Christianity, where we see the fall of man, sin enter the world. And from that, we function out of this heart of enmity, 
That's really what we're getting at. Wait, wait, wait. Hard of what? Enmity. Like it what is, is funneling an attitude uh, that's directly attached from our sin nature. So because of our sin nature, that's where the disagreement comes from. And so we would like to point the fingers. But when we do that, we're just reactionary and we're we're using those things as distractions from getting to the heart of the issue, our own personal biases. One of the things about my life growing up, I went to a predominantly white school growing up. That's all I knew. All I knew was just walking, talking Caucasians, okay? <laughs> but we had a couple families that came into the school system and how beautiful that was to help bring attention to me of different people from all walks of life. And it wasn't until my undergrad years of college at Barton County that I was in a classroom with some, uh, I was on the golf team and there was, these, there was these guys on the track team and they were all black and I got assigned to their table and I just enjoyed listening to their stories. You know what, to actually, at that age of my life, 17 years old, I had never actually got to have an actual conversation. How sad is that? And I already, That was, you'd gone that far that in far, your life and had nope. not actually had a friendship? A friendship. With somebody who's black. Yeah, and seeing just this beautiful expression of their life, their background, their story, um, it really meant a lot to me. And guess what happened? They embraced me, this white, Caucasian, redheaded, easily sunburned guy. Um, and I had never had experienced that. And it opened my eyes to the, this beautiful picture, one, of God's creative beauty, and two, how he created all different walks of life and different colors of skin. You know, the the word, is it melon? Not melatonin. It's melanin. Melanonin. There we go. Nope. Me- okay. There- it's the spe- melancholy. melancholy. No, it's not melancholy. There you go. There the you go. That's spectrum. The word. It's the spectrum of skin color, and guess what? We all land in that. And that's the appreciation. <laughs> You're so funny. I am like struggling with words. So the point is this. You never got it. Okay. It's okay. Well, I appreciate it. I tried. I thought it was melatonin. Not melatonin, because that's like a chemical in the brain. No, that's like serotonin. Melanon- that's Is it serotonin? Anyway, all of our listeners are like yelling at their speakers. It's this. You're not saying it right. But the point is, is the spectrum of color that we all land in. And who are we to think that our skin color is greater than someone else's in the way that God's created us in his image and likeness and the beauty of diversity. That's a beautiful thing. And in that that story, I cannot believe 17 years of my life was missing out on these potential friendships. And, uh, you know, it just saddens me as a minister of the gospel to see when this beautiful picture of diversity just turns rampant toward against one another. And it's, it's devastating. It offends the heart of God and offends what God is wanting to accomplish through the vehicle of the church, bringing grace, hope, and mercy and love. Okay, but the great part about that story that you did not address mm-hmm. is the progress in your thoughts right. of who black people are. Mm-hmm. Because you had never actually had a friendship with somebody Isn't who was black. You had a perception that was skewed, oh, it was a which skewed, is a perception, perception that yeah. so many people have today that they won't even take the Correct. time to get to know their community. Their bias because of their sin nature, when we don't really think about that, holds us back from experiencing the beauty and grace of another individual, another human being. You know what I mean? It's like, what a huge awareness in how misaligned we really are. Even as a follower of Christ, we still struggle with our sin nature, so we get offline. But that's why it's important, these conversations that brings us back online. 
Okay, I'm going so, to move us along a yeah. little bit because I had the honor of speaking with Jermaine Wilson today. Yes. I was doing a story for KMBZ, and um, he has an organization called Unity in the Community. Yes, it's a does. movement, and he does a lot of things with this organization, and one of those is uniting and growing a relationship between the law enforcement in Leavenworth and the citizens so that there's, you know, like I said, a relationship there. So I spoke with Jermaine, who is also a Christian, also former mayor of, of Leavenworth, yeah. Kansas. And I asked him specifically, what do you or how do you believe the church needs to respond in this time? I think during this time, man, people should, people should be okay to talk about this issue. And they should be able to come up with solutions on how can we do better as a church. Because we all know Sunday is one of the most segregated days of the week. And it's consistently uh, 52, 52 weeks in a year, I believe. So there's 52 Sundays. And so every Sunday, you're not saying this is with all the churches, but every Sunday we segregate ourselves. As a church, I think it is our duty to step on the front line and fight, be intentional with who we invite, someone who doesn't look like us, someone who may not. Uh, understand the way that we serve, but bring them to the table so we can start be becoming more focused on what we have in common rather than the differences that we have. We have to love unconditionally. We have to pray. And whenever we are in those those groups with our peers, our friends, or at the workforce, if someone says something, bring up a racial joke, hey, address that. Because what ends up happening when people say those racial things, they accept it, no one corrects it, and then we feel as if it's the norm, but we don't realize those seeds are being planted inside of us. And whatever stigma label that's being addressed on the black community or the uh, uh, whatever race race community, you know, we, we, we believe we act on that. We act on what we believe because we allow that seed to be planted inside of us. Uh, and just know, man, that it's, it's, it's not a joking matter. Uh, those stereotypes are real. And people are responding to those stereotypes. That's why so many African-Americans are being killed. But to be able to, just to sum it up, to, to, to be able to really address those issues, talk about it out of love and coming up with solutions on how we can do better as a church. Man. Was there one statement in that, that like really stood out to you as shocking? That was spot on. No, but was there one statement that like stood out that was shocking? Uh-huh. You're pointing at Nathan. <laughs> yeah, it's like, what? <laughs> Do you guys not know what I'm talking about? We want to hear you say it. I want to, I want to hear what, what <laughs> You're like putting you're us on, I'm like, no, you so, There's well, a lot of good stuff like in there. There was like one thing that really, like the moment I heard it, and I've heard this interview okay. a couple times now, the moment I heard it, I was like, whoa, wait, what? That Sunday is the most there segregated day of the week. You just highlighted the biggest, one of the biggest awarenesses that we're probably not even thinking about. It had not yep. ever been something that I had considered mm -hmm. that we segregate on Sundays, that yep. we have our white churches, we have our black yep. churches, we have our Hispanic churches. Man. And I was like, oh my gosh, he is so right on with that. Yep. Why do we do that? The church is missing a beautiful picture of the family of God. You know, to have a multi-generational, multi-ethnic dynamic in your service just speaks volumes to the life that he gives to all walks of life and that we're missing that. And we're predominantly missing that in America. It's a sad reality. 
But somebody who's rocking it right now, Michael Todd in Oklahoma with Transformation Church. Yes. Yes, this is very multicultural, and they are very specific on that, that that is a focus in their congregation, that everybody from every race, culture gathers together to worship together. And yeah, that congregation is rocking it. It's really cool to watch. I really appreciate what our friend and also brother in Christ, Jermaine, talked about. He hit a couple verses that complements one another. And so Hebrews 13, let brotherly love continue. And then another verse that was highlighted is, for you are called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love to serve one another. Galatians 5, that is addressing all walks of life. And I love just in that snapshot of that short time with him and what he just shared highlights how scripture complements scripture. And because we get misaligned in our thinking and our reasoning, and we, again, the biblical illiteracy that we all deal with when we don't pursue and seek truth through God's word and other followers of Jesus who have a maybe a little more deeper understanding. This is where the clarity is to help accomplish the hope that's needed in racial ethnic um, reconciliation. It's just it's such a big deal, and it helps subside some of his emotions that are so raw and they're so real. And I, I love the fact that Jermaine was so willing to take that time. Uh, I had the privilege of getting to have a breakfast with him a few months back. Man, we were just talking life. I just kept having this goofy grin. I'm sure if he was sitting here with this, he's like, oh, yeah, I remember, you know, because my smile was so big. I was just soaking up this time because even in my 42 years of life, I'm thinking of 17 years of my life, I didn't have a friend outside of someone who was white Caucasian, you know, and I'm missing on the beauty of this new relationship that God's given me in our family. And um, so it's just cool moments like that. And I'm sure other people in our church family are probably like, wow, you're a little over the top. Calm down. But I'm again, it's just that expression of all walks of life. Look what God's doing, his redemptive purposes, all walks of life. I think another question that's been posed is um, Black Lives Matter. Mm -hmm. A lot of people get upset when they see that statement and they're like, wait, just Black Lives Matter? No, everybody's (laughs) life matters. But there's a specific reason that people are saying Black Lives Matter because they have this feeling that Black Lives haven't always mattered. And I saw the scripture verse that talks about the shepherd um, leaving. Can you give me the exact scripture on that? We were talking about this earlier today. He leaves the hunter and goes after the one. Yeah. So what, he leaves behind the 99. Yeah. But what's the scripture reference on that? Ew. Um, I don't have that one written down. You don't have it memorized? I don't have it Pastor memorized either. Jay West. Okay. Well, I thought you had the whole Bible. We were talking shares. about yeah. it. No. Don't you have to do that before you can be a pastor? I don't have the exact reference, but I know exactly the passage you're talking about from the Gospels. So. Okay, so the shepherd leaving the 99 for <laughs> Look the Look up one, in your reference. <laughs> and then when the people are like, but what about me? What about me? And yeah. How does he respond? In the way that Jesus said, uh, this, that person's life is so important, you're doing okay. I'll be back, but let me go after the one. Siri knows the Bible. Hold okay, on. hold on. You just... <laughs> Siri, what's the scripture verse where the shepherd leaves the 99 to go after the one? Nathan, one, two, three. It's Luke chapter seven, right? I found this on the web. Matthew 18, 20. Oh, man. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, but you know, I didn't want to like embarrass you. Wait, hold on. Siri (laughs) might be wrong. Uh Uh-oh. I was going to mention that, that she might Mm. be wrong, but I didn't want to embarrass you guys. Mm -hmm. Yep, I think she was wrong. Hold on. She had a second option, which was in Luke. It's melanin, by the way, Jay West. It is melanin. Yeah, melatonin is like the thing that makes you sleep. Yeah, that's right. I was confusing the two words. Siri, what is the scripture verse where the shepherd leaves the 99 for the one? 
Okay, I found this on the web for what is the scripture verse where the shepherd leaves the 99 for the one. Check it out. Um, I believe that is Luke 15, 4. Or Oof. Matthew 18. I think it's in both. Well, again, scripture complements scripture. So, I mean, they're going to you know, bring the same narrative yeah. <laughs> with another angle to it. <laughs> but thank you, Siri, for that reference. <laughs> but yeah, I mean... I'm trying to find so the what? part where the people are complaining. Sorry, go on. Carry on the show. Okay. Um, you're, you've made like half a point, and then you're like, er, you pump guys, the brakes. You, I, guys, you guys, go. guys know. You guys know. <laughs> I would have been able to carry it on if you were looking right. up something. But I'm still on my one of my thoughts from when Jermaine was highlighting his approach. When the people were like, but, but Shepard, what about me? Mm-hmm. Aren't I important? And they're like, but you're not in danger. And so he goes after the one that's in danger. That's like to sliding to danger. Back. Yes. Yes. So there you go. Finished my point. (laughs) I love it. Well, the point is fantastic that, you know, in that same approach, a lot of times we're misaligned in the fact that we don't take on the attitude, the intellect, as well as the compassionate heart that Christ had for the one that was like, see you guys, throws up a gesture, walks away. But no, Jesus pursues Throws him. up a gesture. I'm saying like the one that sign? leaves the 99. You know what I'm talking Okay. He just basically says, I'm out of here. <laughs> oh, I'm gone. So he waves. That's the No, he didn't wave. A uh, he... Hawaiian good luck sign? No, it wasn't that. Peace sign. Thank hey. you, everyone, for following Hang along 10. and laughing. Uh, the Spock sign? No, it wasn't that. <laughs> he was drinking tea with his pinky in oh, the air. Oh, oh, oh. But as he's walking away, Christ is like, I'm going after that dude. And that's like that whole perspective that we need to better enrich ourselves when we claim and follow Christ. The claims of Christ cause us to be more refined, and it's a chiseling process. So it's not an easy process, and a lot of times we don't like to do hard things in that way. But through the grace and mercy of God, He does that work in us and through us, that chiseling to refine us, to reflect who? Christ. And so I'm thinking about all that's going on in our culture and the, and the heartbreak and the frustration and the raw emotions. And I was listening to a podcast called Just Thinking with Virgil Walker. That wasn't our podcast? And Daryl, we listen to other podcasts. Whoa, but cheating Virgil's from Westside Church Omaha, and uh, which is our former stomping grounds back in the day, but just had a really good approach on this whole conversation of reconciliation. And one of the things that caught my attention that I appreciated, just the perspective of Romans 12 too, which is talking about getting a new heart because it's not, the, the issue is not ethnicity or race. The issue is enmity. And it's one of the comments that they made was... Wait, the issue is what? Can you explain enmity. that word again? I don't... Again, it's the attitude for, attached to our sin nature. It's combative. It's confrontational that highlights sin and not the grace or mercy of God. And one of the things they talked about was this, that races don't reconcile. Hearts do. Hearts are what reconcile. And that's why in scripture talks about be reconciled to God. It's the heart issue. So a lot of times we believe like for just good enough, or I do just a good enough effort, I'm, then I'm just good enough with God. But that's misleading and misunderstanding of the true gospel and the purity of the gospel through the sinless life of Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ that justifies us to stand before God. When we admit to God we're sinners, we turn from our sin, turn to Christ. That reconciles us, again, not based on our age 
or race or whatever background, but that we're now justified in Christ, reconciled to God. And that's that Romans 12, a new heart. And we need a new heart daily. And that's why Jesus said, pick up your cross, follow me daily. That's when the, that one person from the, you know, the hundred and the 99 are left behind. We go after them. That's reconciliation because you're fighting for the heart. Love that. So bringing it back to the Black Lives Matter yeah. thing, rather than responding to that and being like, what? but all lives matter. Look, mm-hmm. What do you mean? No, you're racist for saying that. <laughs> we should instead adjust our focus and and go along with it. Start caring for yep. the one as the 99. Yeah. And say, okay, yeah, you're right. Let's Let's focus on this. Yep. Black lives don't feel like they matter right now, and they're trying to trying to change that. Okay, let's adjust our focus. Yep. You know. That's coming alongside people. Yeah. Being active listeners, bringing clarity where clarity is needed, those kind of things. When I was talking with Jermaine today, he was saying with the violent protest, he said these are people that are hurting yeah. and have been hurting from generation to generation. And he said, you know, though, again, he does not condone the violent protest his point was is that they're hurting people. And so even though we don't agree with their actions, those are still people that we're supposed to love. God commands us to love God and love people. Yeah. And that means all people. Yep. You know, like I said earlier, I just there's such an appreciation in ministry that's opened my eyes in the local church to take on those relationships that don't look like me, sound like me. You know, those things that were part of my upbringing and to recognize those differences and to celebrate those things and to see God's redemptive work in all of it. That's what's cool. And that's what gets me excited about being in ministry and being out in the community and taking this message of healing to hurting people. Because I, too, from sin, have also been hurting. So it's not like I'm saying I have a, you know, I'm on another level. No, that's not what we're saying. We're saying Look what Christ has done in you and through you. And that's how we want to reconcile is those hearts. Um, Whatever's happening within our culture and community. It's a game changer. And for those of you who are still questioning whether racism is an issue, just watch some of these protest videos, like the live videos, and look at the comments that are scrolling and the words and the things that people are saying when those comments are scrolling. And at the news station, we have a text line where people can text in anonymously how they feel or questions they have or whatever. The things that come across that text line sometimes makes me want to vomit and discourages me from from how I feel about our society because Mm -hmm. I had no idea it was that bad. Yeah. It's pretty rough. It's pretty disgusting. So, yes, it, it is an issue. Yeah. And these conversations are definitely bringing it up more in the local church that we need to be put on the front lines of having a more effective answer because of how we can walk with people who are hurting and to see God's healing take place. And that's, again, that's life-changing. Are we ready to move on to the I next subject? I think so. Yeah. So, you know, we're, we're talking about those areas we also talk about areas when someone's like that one that walks away and specifically discussing a local recent awareness of a christian band member 
uh, from one of my favorite bands, gosh, early on in ministry from Hawk Nelson, basically renouncing his faith, renouncing the claims of Christ in his life. And I think the article really lend a lot of weight to where a lot of us identify internally. He was the one that was able to speak in the external. You know, he actually talked about what he was feeling on the inside. And what happened from that is quite detrimental, not just because of his decision, but how no one really reached around him into rally. And I think if we're really honest with ourselves, when we have fears or doubts about spiritual things or eternal things, we tend to hide those things because we're afraid that someone may judge us. I appreciate the fact this article brings out some lessons for the church to tackle these things because it's like the conclusion was he's just out there wandering. Hold on, hold on. I'm going to stop you real quick because we didn't address that we're basing what we're talking about off of an article that was written about him. Yeah. This article was written by the son of a well-known apologist. Uh, apologist. Yeah. Do, do you remember who this was written by? Sean McDowell. Sean McDowell yeah. and his dad. Son of dad of Josh McDowell. Son of dad of. Son, son of dad. Son of dad. <laughs> <laughs> old testament <laughs> Sean, son of dad. <laughs> All right, so this uh, artist from Hawk Nelson yeah. had posted on his Instagram page that he was denouncing his faith, and it was a very long post that talked about the reasons why he is denouncing his faith. Yeah. And one of the points in there was talking about when he had doubts about Christianity, yeah. he was too afraid to say something. Too afraid, yep. Those are the emotions that get in the way of the grace and mercy, you know, that we all will buy into. And I, I just want to say, you know, as a follower of Christ uh, and as a listener, maybe you're saying, you know, I've grown up to church. I went to church. I'm pretty sure I know I'm saved. But for whatever reason, there's something that's blinded you or blindsided you. Maybe it was someone's comment. Maybe it was someone and how they mishandled the gospel or a situation and you witnessed that and it train wrecked you in your faith. Can I just remind you that you didn't save yourself? Jesus did. He saved you. So that's something you can take confidence that that will never leave you nor forsake you because he tells us he won't do that, even if we choose to step away. And I, you know, if I was talking, you know, face to face with this. This artist, you know, this individual, uh, whether it's him or anybody else, you know, I've seen God change atheists over the years. I've I highlighted some of my sermon last Sunday that had the personal blessing of baptizing in Jesus' name uh, an atheist who who turned from being atheist to Christ, and you know that was a pretty awesome moment. But in the same way, for someone who's walked with Christ for a lot of years and for whatever reason they dismantle, disengage from their faith. Who am I to say that God's still not at work, even though they may not see it in that moment? You know, like this is eternal stuff. And it wasn't based on us in the first place. But when there's that moment, you know, I would love just to be reminded that those questions I welcome. Why? Because it shows that God's up to something, even when you may not see it right now. It's redemptive. And we want to walk with people through those trials. And what was sad in the article, it seemed like that wasn't happening. There was like this mirror looking back at him of like, there was no hope. I can't say I've ever met somebody who hasn't doubted their faith at yeah. some point in their right. walk. Mm -hmm. And as for me, I would say I've doubted my faith a thousand times. Like, this is a regular thing. There's stuff that comes up or I'll read something that I'm like, well, uh, that's confusing to me. I don't know the answer to that. And it's like something as simple as that will make me question like, wait, is this whole Christianity thing real? And I'm an analytical thinker. 
which I think Love that. plays against yeah. me when it comes to faith because it's not something that I can see or touch. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got to base it all on the Bible. And there's so many things out there that, you know, you think it was this, but now it's this. And so I, I go back to that with the Bible, like, well, what if this wasn't? And and so I have to go back and I have to find the history of how this was created. And there's certain anchors that I mm-hmm. have that tie me to my Christian faith that keep me going with it whenever mm-hmm. I start to doubt or run into a question or even an experience that starts to pull me in the the other direction. And one thing is like doubting the possibility that that God even exists because that seems like this magical thing. Like really? I I have a hard time wrapping my mind around the fact that there's a God that I haven't actually personally met. Mm-hmm. It seems like something that could be very easily made up. There's all of these different religions in the world. And so it makes me question in, in that aspect. But one thing that anchors me is when I go back to thinking, well, but how I, I could see that there could be an end to everything. But how was there mm-hmm. never a beginning? Mm-hmm. Like, that's real. That's something real. There was never a beginning. Something has always been. And if I can't wrap my my <laughs> mind around the fact that there was never a beginning, then it's not that far of a reach for me to wrap my mind around the fact that there's a loving God. And so that is one anchor that ties me. That's a great example. Mm. The visual anchor of his love. Holy smokes. You know, a lot of us would say, at times in our lives, we could easily pinpoint, in this time of my life, I felt least loved. And one truth of God's word is that God doesn't love you any more or any less than he does right now. You know, there's hope in that. The reminder of that, even in my worst moment or my darkest hour, whatever phrase that someone wants to hold on to in that emotional sway, God loves you, you know, always and forever because he's always been. And that's, that is hard to, you know, for your brain just to get around that. But that's that faith component. Like when your faith is building in that, it just brings such reassurance. Like, okay, I can do this. I can do this faith walk. And it helps you overcome a lot of obstacles in life. And, you know, people you walk with who share in that same hope. It just gives you a whole other perspective, even with the richness of the depth of those questions. Man, that's good, you know, because it reminds you you're still human and we still have a desperate need for a loving savior. So you, Nathan encounter people throughout your 24 years. Whoa. 20, is that right? You're aging him now. <laughs> 24 gosh. years of just encountering all walks of life of people in their faith levels or faith spectrum. Uh, yeah, but you know, it is interesting. Cause that was one of the things when we were reading through this article, they had mentioned how this, uh, this particular individual had never really encountered anybody else who had experienced the doubt as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't say that I ever really talked to anybody growing up in the church um, that ever talked about that. Like nobody was like, Oh yeah, man. Like there are times when I doubt there, there was never like a speaker who was like, you guys ever have those times where you're not sure. It was just one of those things that was like uh, you're in your room by yourself and you're 
trying to figure it out and you're like, does anybody else feel like this? Like, surely, yeah. <laughs> like, either that or I'm not saved, but I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure I'm saved. So why am I having these doubts? And yeah. it's it's something that, it's such a shame that people don't talk more openly about it. Yeah. The article uh, that, that we read had had mentioned that the church needs to create room for doubt and in some instances even invite it of uh, of giving these people a safe space if you will of like yeah. it's okay to have these questions it's okay to doubt it's okay to wonder what's going on and it's okay to ask and they shouldn't have any fear of getting shunned for bringing that up you know it shouldn't be like <laughs> They bring up the fact that they have some questions that they're not finding answers, and yeah. it's at the time seemed pretty convincing, and then fear that they're just going to get smacked in the head with a King James Bible. <laughs> How dare you? Blasphemy. <laughs> Go read the whole Bible again. <laughs> like, so it, it's one of those things. Fortunately, you know, I was raised in a Christian home all the way through saved at a young age. So I personally have never known a life outside of the Christian life. And so that was Elvis. Yeah, that was gonna break in. Um, and so for me in those times of doubts, it's like, yeah, actually Rebecca mentioned this gif earlier. You, you know, that John Travolta gif, <laughs> Jeff, uh, from uh pulp fiction. Mm-hmm. where he's just kind of looking around. He's like, got his hands held out, yeah, like, what's what? going on? For me, it's like, anytime I have those doubts, it's like, well, where else am I going to go? Or I more biblical reference, whenever Jesus is talking, I think it was Peter, and he's like, are you guys going to leave me? And Peter's like, the freak am I going to go? <laughs> like, this is all I know, man. Like, And so... Fortunately for myself, you know, that's always been that thing that I can always lean on of like, even if I have these doubts and even if I were to look elsewhere, I know it all come up empty because yeah. I know where I put my faith. I know, you know, where my parents have put their faith and raised me, fortunately, in a very uh, faith-based home and all my siblings as well. Um, but man, I feel bad for those who don't, you know, who they go home and they don't have a Christian family, and they have these doubts, and nobody at church talks about it. Right. You know, and they, if they talk to those who are closest, if they talk to their parents who may have not been Christian, then it's like man. they have nowhere to go. Yeah. And so it's definitely one of those things, man. As the church, it's such a shame that it's not more openly talked mm-hmm. about. I'm not going to pretend that I'm a perfect parent or that I'm doing everything right because I'm sure that the majority of the stuff I'm doing is wrong. I'm keeping a list of everything <laughs> that I see. In case you guys says, were wondering. But keep a list. <laughs> one approach that I have taken with our children when it comes to church because they've grown up in the church is at a certain point in their walk, they were both saved very young. And at a certain point in their walk, I've backed off significantly and allowed them to make their faith their own mm-hmm. uh-huh. because they've almost only known it as their mom and dad's faith. Yeah. Yeah. And though we've, we've taught them, they've asked the right questions and they made that decision on their own. They've had to develop that for themselves. And I remember a time I think Zacchaeus would be okay talking about this where he was like, you know, actually I don't even know if I'm saved. Like I don't remember 
that time when I accepted Christ. And he was really struggling in his walk of, am I saved or am I not? And is this my faith? And giving him room to figure out what that means to him, allowing him to doubt and make that decision for himself. I mean, one thing I do that I'm questioning whether it's the right decision, but we're going we're going with it for right now. <laughs> you got one more. So if you mess up on the first uh, round two. I don't make them go to church. They have to make that decision on their own. Mm-hmm. And so far, thankfully, they have made that decision to go. Um, yeah, but I'm not going to wake them up every yeah. time and be like, you have to do this. You have to go. Every time we're at church, you need to be at church. They have to make that decision yeah. of where they're at in their walk and making that decision to go. Now, as children, I made them go all the time because I felt that it was important that they build that foundation. Yeah, absolutely. But now they're both saved. They've built that foundation. They know how to search their Bible. They know why we believe what they believe. Now you need to make a decision to make this yeah. your own faith. Yeah, I think that's important. Yeah, it's a decision we made together. It's not like to all listeners listening. Well, Did you know about our pastor Jay West? Oh, <laughs> Jay West yeah, is like, we were wait, full what on. What are we doing? Yeah, I mean, it, it engaged conversation of what do you think, and I think there's a huge mark of growth and maturity in that as an adolescent, and uh, for our, you know, young adult son just to be able to own his faith. And I remember taking walks um, when he was younger, like middle school years, and we would just take these. Two to three times a week walks at night, cup of coffee, tea, you know, fulfill Deuteronomy uh, 16 about, you know, when you lay down or where you walk along the path, you'll know, think on these things. And so we would think on the, the challenging things of life and just let those things shape so it starts impacting his participation in personal worship and then corporate worship with the body at church. And then one day, getting to that point where they're at right now, in their age, in their walk, to start owning their faith. Do I go to church today? Do I understand that there's a consequence for myself, not because of mom and dad, what they say, but just weighing out that personal decision to either go or not go? Because there's consequence either way. But regardless, is just help walking with them through those decisions and talking through patterns. And, you know, and that's been a, a mark of growth for us um, as mom and dad for our kids, you know, just to walk and, and share those things. And to ask clarifying questions and, you know, was that the best decision, you know? The added pressure is that you are the pastor of the church. And so there's that fear that you'll start to feel criticism or, yeah, yeah, the the judging eyes on you of if your child's not there or if your child is late. Um, But I guess I've gotten to the point where I'm like, I don't care. I care more about my child's walk with Christ then I care about how people feel about yeah. how I'm raising them. Yeah, walking with our kids when they miss. Let's say, for example, so they miss Sunday. Hey, missed you today. That's walking with them. Did you want to miss because of something deeper of an issue, or you just want to miss because you're tired? You know, okay. When you start seeing a pattern, maybe that is a little bit of a red flag for a concern, but there is a definitely in ministry over the years, there is that thought, oh, if they're not sitting with us, something must be wrong. No, just can't even play those mental games. I think one of the biggest compliments over the years I've learned from other ministers with families with kids to even just recently is when someone takes a vested interest in our kids, even when they're not even in service and just pours into them. That's called discipleship. You know what I mean? Like that ministers to me as a minister of the gospel when someone takes a vested, and we see that happening. They're like, 
hey, saw your kids out in the parking lot, and I wanted you to know I spent the last 20 minutes talking. That's why I was in the service. Well, I'm blessed by the fact that someone took a moment to acknowledge, okay, they're not in service, so I'm going to get to know them. I'm yeah, see where they're at. And it's like, dude, that's awesome. There's two directions that could go. Somebody could. could come to us after service <laughs> and say, do hey, you realize your child your was kids. sitting in the parking lot, and I think your child is... Um, a bad reflection on you and who you Man. are as a Christian, which has definitely happened it's a happened. few times. It's the worst. But Ugh. then on the other side of it yeah. is somebody, instead of coming to us and complaining about the yep. example that they're setting, going to them and saying, I care for you and I care for your heart and I want to listen to you. Yep. And the impact that, that. makes and in that individual, yep. not just our children, this is any any situation. Exactly. The impact that makes on that person to feel loved, regardless mm-hmm. of where they're at, like loved where they're at, yeah. makes them want to come Holy in. Holy smokes. And there it is. That's the clarity of getting that relationship in. When people may say from a distance, they, your kids are in church. They need to be in church. You're absolutely right. They should be in church. But did you go and talk with them? Did you walk with them along the path? Did you sit with them? Did you get? To, that's the ministry side that then becomes this awareness. You know what? For that person who's been on the sidelines goes, I need to be in the game. I need to get into service because I'm missing out. And that becomes that hunger. That's that growth. And man, there's a point I hope I hope parents just look at it in that perspective would be encouraged to know that there's a moment where you have that serious conversation with with your kids about making that conscious decision. Am I going to church today or not? And that's that's okay. Take time. Take steps. I have been the wife of a pastor for over 20 years now. It'll be 21 years this August. Oh, my goodness. And I will tell you that my walk with Christ has had its ebbs and flows. What's that mean? It's gone up and down. There like There's times where I'm stronger <laughs> than other times. And I know that there was a specific time in my life where I felt like I was just going through the motions. Mm -hmm. I had done this for so long that I just, it was part of my routine and there wasn't a heart in it like there used to be. And I literally didn't even know what to do to the point where I didn't tell you, John Wesley, that I was even struggling because I felt uncomfortable. Like in this article where he talks about he didn't feel comfortable addressing that he was doubting. Mm -hmm. And not that I felt that you would judge me. I was embarrassed as a Christian. I didn't want anybody to know. So I made a decision to do something by myself that I don't know if it was right or wrong, but it worked for me. (laughs) I stopped reading my Bible. Mm -hmm purposely until I desired it again. Like I wanted to crave his word again. Yeah. And it was probably three months. I remember that I did not pick up my Bible. You don't remember in the process. No, but I remember you the remember afterwards the when process. I told you. You became hungry again for Yes, the because I remember the day that that happened where I was like, I I really miss his word. Like, I really want to read his word Mm -hmm. again. And it it started my time back with him again. And there was never a time where I was like, I'm mad at God. It was just I had become stagnant in my walk. And that was my fault that I had become that way. But that's something that I did that brought me back. It was powerful. You know, to see you walk through that was, was difficult. Because of all my own personal questions of, man, why is there this desert season in her life? But that's the joy of a relationship with Christ, is that he's doing the grafting, he's doing the shaping, and where he alone did that in you. And to watch watch that happen, I didn't quite understand it, 
but then to see you rekindled with that fire and that hunger, then it impacted me. You know, that's the thing that you probably didn't realize is how that impacted me to see you walk through a desert of your own questions and doubts and then God to bring the victory and the joy back that had to do between you and him. And so for me as a minister of the gospel, I'm looking at that, you know, in your life as my wife going, look at what God's doing in my wife's life. And that was pretty humbling for me to watch. It's not quite the desert that this artist from Hawk Nelson is walking through, but it's similar in that, you know, you have to, some people will take a step away at some point in their life, but it doesn't mean that Jesus leaves them during that time. He's there. He's making his presence known. He's still waiting for you to respond. And if you truly made a decision to accept Christ in your life, that never goes away and that hunger will come back again. Yeah. I mean, again, just the 20 something years of ministry been in together watching, you know, like four or five years ago, a friend of ours who grew up in the church, dad was a pastor minister. He was like, yeah, I've been a Christian my whole life. But then, you know, at the age of like 45, you know, he's serving in the church. He was like involved in like ministry. And one day he's just like, I don't know Christ. Like, I don't know him personally. I know a lot about him. And he was like, I'm no longer scared to talk about this because I know that I know I'm saved now. And so he recommitted his life. He's like, I'm pretty sure I've done this before, but I'm just going to nail it down. And the joy, and then the other people in the room who were doubting when they heard their testimony started crying because they were like, I can identify with that. I have doubts. I have fears. And so it caused like this wave of like recommitment. And it was the fact that people were like, I no longer have to fear. I know that when I pass from this earth, I'm in present with Christ. And that was amazing through his testimony and his fear of sharing that publicly, how that impacted people for the kingdom. It was awesome. Like just witnessing that, like how many other people in the room are identifying with his story of silencing themselves, you know, and uh, letting themselves stay in the desert rather than seeing how God's bringing them through the desert and then bringing clarity. Yeah. Your story is amazing because of how personal that is to you and how right now for those who are listening will more identify with that than, you know, more than what Nathan and I could be, you know, talking about because that was a very, very delicate season. But everybody has their own story. You have your own story. Right. Nathan has his own story. Right. It's not something unique to me. It's, well, I mean, my story is unique to me, but it's not a unique situation. Mm-hmm. Like everybody fluctuates in their walk. Yeah. I don't know if fluctuate was the right word. No, it makes sense. But again, just your example, just spring, you know, just whoosh, springboards the conversation. We haven't said anything about that. And you just highlighted it. So the fact that you just said that and talked about that, it's ministering to us and then everyone else who's listening, like, that's real. And it's real to have those emotions and those sways spiritually. But the steadiness of Christ and gosh, the healing he brings, I mean, it's just, it's amazing to be a part of. Because we realize how jacked up we are and how amazing and just God he is that would still accept us and embrace us. Pretty cool. Pretty awesome. Nathan, how much time do we have left? Dude. Ten minutes. Ten what? minutes. Okay. Nathan, we want to hear from you. Oh, never oh, mind. Hi. Okay, Nathan, uh, we want to hear from Here's something cool. Fun fact about Nathan. We were talking this last week, dialing it in, do-do-do, over some Starbucks. And he reminded me about his passion for biblical counseling. Like, just like... God's wired him to be able to listen and understand and read people. And I'm like, that's a fun fact about Nathan. And as you were talking about when you were in Bible college and taking a couple of classes on biblical counseling and just some of those things that like 
talking and walking with people. I thought that was really cool. So as listeners, if you're like, what's another fun fact about, that's a fun fact. And I'm like, I took biblical counseling undergrad and in seminary. And so here we are talking through ideas of just walking with people in life and trying to be, you know, great active listeners. And I think it's pretty cool that that's something about Nathan's spiritual gift is he's a great listener. My favorite thing that you do is set up Nathan for awkward moments <laughs> yeah. where he's like, "Wait, what am I? What am I saying? What am I doing? About? I'm supposed to hit the buttons." I, I don't. I don't remember <laughs> talking about biblical counseling. What? I really. I, I even bought you a I refresher. You hating taking that class? No, 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 no. Biblical no, counseling you are was actually misled. the only class that I went to BBC. And for. tell us why. But you I didn't do the homework. I didn't do squat at BBC. <laughs> but you soaked it up. Parents, I'm sorry. Oh, oh. <laughs> I don't know if I, I don't think I ever told them what my grades were. Please don't ask. They were all A's. Um, what You're did you say to us? I was busy uh, falsifying. Falsifying? <laughs> falsifying. Oh, falsifying. Is that, oh, that's what it was. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, one of the things, though, that I, I did kind of learn, and yeah, I do have a passion for biblical counseling more so... Um, walking alongside people yeah um because there's there's questions that i have i it may be a blessing maybe a curse but a lot of times whenever i see people who are who are struggling in in life in general whatever it is spiritual or not i like i want to have an answer for them and i want to be able to be like hey man like here's yeah. <laughs> here's what you, here's what you need to do um not so that i can have the answer but so that they can have the answer um, and so biblical counseling is one of those things, man, like uh, I, I firmly believe that every individual, every teacher, every, every person who's like in a, a higher level in the church and even those who aren't should take some sort of biblical co counseling course. They have like different courses that you can, I mean, the one that I went to in Missouri was like three weekends out of the year. Yeah. And it was just covering, you know, whatever basics you go on a Friday and it's a Friday, Saturday yeah. thing three times in a semester. And then you come back the next year and it's like the next level up. Um, because like we mentioned, there's a lot of stuff in the church that people don't talk about. And because about. of that, whenever stuff comes up, we don't know how to respond. Yeah. You know? And so like, man, if we had more instruction, then the church as a whole would be better. And then we would have a better answer for stuff like Black Lives Matter for yep. protests and riots. And Correct. Everything. Yeah. Because you're not just standing there going, oh, what do I do? Do I do what Facebook says and just hate everybody? <laughs> you know, like I read the Bible. They don't say anything about Black Lives Matter <laughs> and the King James. <laughs> you're right. You know? And so... uh I think it's incredibly important. I wish I paid more attention, um, but, you know, I kept my books. Well, when so. you and I were talking, I was, like, throwing some scenarios at you, and you were just like, you know, I think one angle to look at this and one perspective about this, and I was just thinking, you know, at 24 years of age and growing up in the church, but also... what? It's all right. It's all right. I got He's a birthday 24. coming up. Um, coming up. It's yeah. In July. Yeah, 24. <laughs> no. Rebecca, you told me 24. <laughs> anyway. Point being, yeah. scenarios and walking with people. And that's something, again, I've seen growth in Nathan over the last couple of years is just like how he just dives into people, listens, being able to offer some guidance, you know. And that was really fun to hear that he was taking courses 
because we can have real conversations because there's a depth there, but also some solutions. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that there's something to be said generationally as we talk about multi-generational ministry. You know, there's a biblical model for that and how the the older is to invest in the younger, you know, and the August. way that that looks. Um, Good job. August 9th. Yep. Good job. Yeah. <laughs> he'll be 20. He'll be 23. Yep. Yep. That's I, what I said. Benjamin Button going down. I said 23, didn't I? He's 23 now. <laughs> what? I'm 24 now. I'm turning 23 in August. <laughs> what? He'll be 24 on August 9th. Yeah. He's going to turn 24 this year. I'm turning 42 this month. So I've been oh. saying. Yeah. Was switching back. Uh, 42 okay. on the 20. Um, but yeah, I think there's just a huge awareness in the church that there just needs to be that genuine, authentic conversation and all the things that we just delved into, but mm -hmm. also just knowing that there are solutions and it takes, and there's steps to those solutions, just embracing the conversations that are absolutely necessary to, to be having, especially difficult ones about struggles with faith or race or disagreements or combative statements, whatever, just to help bring some clarity to this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man, I, I still think about, like, things that I, I saw going on in, in friends, like, growing yeah. up in, like, a youth group. Yeah. And you see people start coming to church, and then they, they fall away, and you see people going through different problems. And, like, as a teenager, I didn't really understand. You know, <laughs> just go to church. What do you mean? It's not that hard. Like, read your Bible. Cool. <laughs> you know? It's not that hard. Um but I was also raised in a Christian household, like I, like I explained. So and homeschooled. Christianity isn't super hard for me. Um, but for some people, it is. They don't... Yeah. There's a lot of outside influences. Exactly. And so growing up, you see these problems and it's like, I can't even comprehend how to handle that yeah. issue. Like if this individual were to come to me and be like, Nathan, I'm really struggling in this aspect, I'd be like, that sucks. You, uh, you go talk to, to the pastor. <laughs> no. Okay. Yeah. And no, I probably wouldn't either. It's kind of a, scary. <laughs> Not that our pastor is scary. <laughs> but you know, but people idea. will be, yeah. Cause people will be hearing a title and they're like, Whoa. Yeah. And here's the He's truth. Higher up. Like yeah. the idea of having to good. go to the pastor I know. with a problem. Right. You feel like the worst Christian. In and the I world. don't and the only the, the easiest answer that what we talked about is that that's that sin nature component of like I'm ashamed, I'm afraid. Yeah. You know, and Jesus is talking about, you know, not to live in fear, but to walk in the confidence of knowing that he has a plan and a purpose, even when we have fears and you know, we disregard ourselves and we feel less than and we talk down to ourselves instead of looking upward to the call that's on us to have a new heart, Romans 12, just like we talked about earlier. So I love it that Nathan, you know, we get into conversations about stuff like this and it just seems like the wheel spins faster the more we talk about it because it just brings up these gifts and talents. So I just wanted yeah. to highlight that. So thanks, Appreciate Nathan. It. Thanks yeah. for participating, <laughs> highlighting you and what God's doing. <laughs> you know, sometimes we get yeah. so busy talking, we forget to let Nathan talk. No, that's fine because... I still have this hey. little kid brain and I don't understand nah. the adult topics you guys talk about. So. Dude. Um, and one more thing on the topic of talking about your doubts and stuff with yeah. people in the church. And I can't say this for every single person, yeah. but the odds are if you talk to somebody about your struggles, they're not going to look at you differently. Correct whether it's it doesn't even matter what it is like 
Like if, if it's something that you're struggling with, you don't have to talk to the pastor. You should talk to somebody who knows what they're talking about. Yeah. But even if it's a friend, they're not going to look at you differently. Yeah. Even if you talk to the pastor, he's not going to be like up there preaching and lock eyes with you and be like, Oh, I know about you now. <laughs> Unless you murdered somebody. Unless you murdered somebody or maybe like raped somebody or something. But just overall, don't do you that. You should still talk to somebody. Yep. Uh, of course. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Thanks, Rebecca. <laughs> but no, I'm just saying, you know. Anyway, talk to a friend. Talk to a pastor. It's, it's We're a, all sinners. We all get it. Exactly. Yeah. Don't Except be for afraid. murder. We're not all murderers. <sighs> well, here's the thing. Well, you know, Jesus says that if you hate people, you murder them in your heart or something like that. And so, there you man, go. That's, that's a big one. Rebecca, I really appreciate the fact that you highlighted a key biblical principle that separates Christianity from all... Murderers? Of, no, you oh. said to love God and love people. There that's is, right. There that's is right. one true God, and the scriptures proclaim the goodness of who he is, and he's the only one. And from that, we get to be his recipients, and that is a cool thing to be able to handle all the calamities of life. Right on. That's shock therapy, guys. Hope we uh, gave you some some answers, some insight on the things going on in the world right now. It's a crazy Honored. time. It's a crazy time. Javis, thank you so much for being here and for bestowing your wisdom upon us. Join us Friday for Facebook Live Woo! with Vent Lab. Brady Goodman. Joining us to tell his oh story. Goodness. Yeah, That's he fantastic. said he has it. I don't know what it is. Okay. Oh, but he says we he has make it. no guarantees. And he might be sober. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. That's Nathan and Bex. No, Vent Lab. Whoa. Uh, <laughs> That's Nathan. I'm, I'm Rebecca. Nathan. There it is. Oh, we out. Gosh. <laughs> I'm going to bed. Oh. That's the wrong one. Oh, and in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night.